Hey y'all, it's your girl Katie T, kicking off another episode of In My Shoes. You know we're all about women of color here, and we have a doctor in the house today who's going to be talking about all things COVID vaccine related. She's going to talk about the myths that are out there, why she thinks there's so much skepticism among communities of color, and the importance of knowing the information for ourselves as we determine whether or not the vaccine is right for us. I think this is full of great information, and you'll learn a lot, so I hope that you'll take a few minutes and listen to what she has to say. So let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color, where we talk about the issues we are facing on a daily basis. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. And I have a guest with me today. She was actually introduced to me uh, by another doctor that we have interviewed from Corona Mamas. And so today I have Jasmine Marcelin. I hope I said that right. And I just wanted to introduce herself to everyone here, and then we'll get into our topic for today. So hello, how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, Jasmine Marcel and I'm a infectious disease physician at the University of Nebraska Medical Center up in Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you so much for that. And the reason why I asked uh, to speak with you today is I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the myths and the issues that we may be having in our communities in getting people of color to be vaccinated for the COVID-19 Uh, with the COVID-19 vaccine. And I just wanted to talk to you about that a little bit today. Just correct me if I'm wrong, but I have been hearing statistics that say we are having trouble getting uh, more people of color to be vaccinated. Is that accurate? Yeah. So when you look at the numbers of people who have been vaccinated in general, uh, and then kind of take a look at the breakdowns of the demographics, there's definitely a lag and significant uh, disparity in the people who are being vaccinated. The people in the Black community, um, in Hispanic communities and Indigenous communities are being vaccinated at rates that are lower than the white uh, population in the United States. And there's a a number of different reasons uh, why that could be happening that we'll probably touch on all of them uh, over the course of our discussion here. But, you know, just kind of bird's eye view, uh, overview of what are some of the big reasons why we could be seeing this. One is... A just in general, fewer people are um, presenting themselves to be vaccinated. Um, this might be because they may not have time, availability, access to be vaccinated, or because they have specific concerns about the vaccines that may not yet have been addressed. And so they may be a little wary of going to get their vaccinations. Uh, in Within that time, Within that little spiel there, access was one of the things that I wanted to highlight because in the beginning, a lot of the discussions uh, centered on what what are some of the things that make people uh, hesitant to get vaccinated. And we're finding a lot more now uh, that access has really become an issue as well. And I know in my home state, and you know, I don't know if this contributes contributes to it. There seem to be rules that they vary from state to state. So, like I, I interviewed some teachers um, just to do a follow up with them, and in their um, area, teachers were already eligible. And in Florida, they just became eligible maybe a week ago, and then they had to be fifty and up. And then finally, they let all teachers have it. So, are we finding that that is an issue in terms of access? Is it? More, I know also in Florida, we have an issue with sometimes it seems to be that they are giving more 
exposure to more higher economic neighborhoods than they are other neighborhoods? Is it a combination of those two things? Access is very complicated. So the the bigger the biggest issue is there is a finite amount of vaccine available, and so the uh, CDC and, and other federal agencies are uh, stuck with trying to figure out how do they how do they allocate vaccines, how do they distribute them, and get them to the population, and. Uh, it, with the with the limited uh, amount of, of vaccine that they have available to them uh, at this point, and so in trying to do this in um, what they are trying to uh, call an, an equitable fashion, what they look at is who is at risk for severe illness and death from COVID nineteen, and the way that they have done this has been to focus mainly on age. So we do know that it is a fact that people in older age groups, you know, 85 plus, 75 plus, 65 plus, people in those age groups um, overall are at higher risk for severe illness and death from COVID-19. And that's all comers. Um, so the the allocation process decided to take age as the biggest consideration factor um, for how do we start distributing the vaccine across the country. On the surface, that seems like a reasonable strategy, but when you look closer at who is dying at greater uh, proportions across the country, we are seeing that people in the Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous communities are dying at rates that are between two and three times higher than the white community, right? And the interesting thing is that in many of these um, many of these uh, communities of color, the people are dying, uh, maybe dying at younger ages. And in fact, some communities may not even have a life expectancy that reaches this minimum age requirement for vaccines when vaccines were first being rolled out. There are reports um, of, uh, I think one in one state, I think it was Tennessee, there was a uh, report of how vaccines were being rolled out in people age 75 and older, and the life expectancy of the Black people in this community did not hit 75. So what we're seeing is if, if we are only using age as the cutoff, and there are communities of color whose ages, whose life expectancy don't allow them to get to those ages for a number of different reasons that are all underlined by, you know, the underlying structural racism in our community, then what we're doing is effectively cutting out these individuals who are at, in fact, at higher risk for, for severe illness and death. Um, so that's one situation the, it, with, the, with the overall um, distribution in general. The other thing is there are other groups 
like, for example, teachers who may be at increased risk, or for example, meatpacking workers or other um, uh, frontline workers that are not healthcare workers, but who may have uh, exposure to higher burden of COVID-19. And the a question again on allocation is how do we make sure that all of these folks are protected? And unfortunately, what has happened is because there is no national strategy, each state is left to its own devices to try to figure things out. And that means that things are being done haphazardly across the country. So what about some of the um, maybe myths that people of color are still holding on to? You know, we all have heard about the Tuskegee experiment, but have you had people say to you that they just don't trust um, the government and this vaccine and and, um, what the long-term side effects may be? Yeah, trust is, um, trust is, is an important thing to talk about. And, you know, for me as a healthcare professional, when we talk about trust in healthcare, there's a lot of tendency to think specifically about the, uh, the, the, the experiment, the syphilis experiment uh, or study that happened um, in uh, Tuskegee and point to that as sort of the central reason for distrust. The, the issue with that is it, it fails to uh, acknowledge that what we have been dealing with is really centuries of misappropriation of trust from the Black community uh, because of centuries of oppression and um, uh, people being enslaved, structural racism, and all of the things that have been happening over these many, many, many years that include what happened in Tuskegee. But there are also things that are happening today that will allow for folks in the Black community to really take pause and think and question whether or not the the healthcare workforce, the healthcare um, institution in general uh, cares about them. When they think about the fact that uh, there is data that shows that if you have um, people showing up with pain, white people with pain are more likely to be given pain medications than black people with pain. When you see data that shows that if you have uh, people who have diabetes and and complications from diabetes, white people with those complications are more likely to be given um, the standard of care uh, for treatment, um, whereas the black people who have these complications may be more likely to receive amputations, for example. Things like that that are happening right now, um, today, and we're seeing this in our communities. And so there, the, the distrust that may be there is absolutely warranted. It's validated because healthcare medicine has not proven itself to be trustworthy over time. So that's, that's the first point about that. Um, that is linked to the questions and concerns that people have about how rapidly the vaccine was developed. 
And I think that is probably one of the biggest uh, questions that I get is how are we so sure that this is not an experiment on on black folks when you know we're trying to get black folks vaccinated how do we know that we're not being experimented on just like in the past and so the things that i like to share uh specific to that question start off with let's talk about why the vaccine was developed so quickly and how how that was possible so the technology for all of these vaccines that are being developed, whether it's the messenger RNA vaccine or um, adenovirus vector vaccines or any other, other types of vaccines uh, that are available for COVID-19, the technology to develop these vaccines has been around for years. Um, and scientists have been working on these vaccine, on, on the vaccine technology as it pertains to other types of infections. But here we found ourselves in this predicament with a pandemic where people were getting very sick and dying at rates that were just unconscionable. And so scientists pooled their collective smarts and rich countries pooled their collective financial resources to be able to um, put all of that together for this uh, race of vaccines to use the technology that already existed to apply it to this need that happened right now in well in 2020. And so I think that is the, the first most important um, point that I like to share with people is that the the technology was already there, already existed, and now this urgency. Um, and the, the rapidity of how the vaccines were developed were because of how urgent this pandemic situation was. And then the second point about that that I like to make reg with regards to that second question about are we being experimented on is who is who were the folks in the clinical trials? So there's thousands of tens of thousands of people that participate in each of those clinical trials. And particularly for um, the, you know, because this is a pandemic and it's happening across the world, there, the trial, the clinical trials were designed in a way that we need to try to get information for as many types of people as possible. And so they did, um, they did recruit Black individuals and Hispanic individuals and Indigenous people into these clinical trials. And so there is data that shows that the vaccines work in our people as well. And I think, I think there is enough information about that for folks who are questioning this to feel a little bit better uh, because this is not a situation where we tested on, on only um, white folks, but then suddenly we're trying to push it onto black people and that's not what happened. And what about some, what are some of the other common um, myths that you hear? Like I know um, for me, one of the things I was worried about was some of the things I was reading around allergies because I do have uh, allergies. 
um, several of them, food allergies, environmental allergies. That's one that was a concern for me that I'd heard that it, it could be hard for people with uh, certain allergies. And then there was also another one that was popping up around uh, pregnant women and that it may make it difficult for a woman who wanted to get pregnant to be able to do that later in life. Uh, what what about those and what others have you been hearing? So uh, the allergies uh, question uh, is a good one. There's a lot, you know, like I said, there's a lot of folks that were recruited into those clinical trials and um, the, the number of serious allergic reactions that happen with these vaccines was actually um, uh, pretty low. Um, and we know that uh, people do develop rea- uh, immune effects from the vaccine. And sometimes those may be confused with allergies. And so and I, I hesitate to call them side effects because um, a side effect is something that is, you know, an undesirable effect from a drug or something like that. But what we're seeing happening with this vaccine is, is not really an undesirable effect, even though people might not enjoy it, but it's really immune effects that shows that your immune system is working. And so after receiving the vaccine, you may receive, you may experience pain at the injection site. You may experience fever. You may experience um, uh, fatigue um, and you just might not feel well. I personally, so I've received both um, uh, injections for my vaccine. And after my second shot, I was just not feeling good at all for couple days well. And that is completely, um, that is different um, than an allergic reaction. Um, And uh, there, I think they needed to be earlier on better communication about what are the expectations that people should have when they're getting vaccinated. Um, what are what are the effects on the immune system that they should anticipate, um, and that may have led to um, just kind of better understanding of the difference between allergic reactions and expected immune immune reactions. Uh, there are. That isn't to say that there are not um, uh, serious uh, allergic reactions that happen. And so there's a a small minority of folks who may have allergic reactions. These folks may be people who already have serious allergic reactions um, uh, to begin with, um, particularly to potential, you know, components of the of the vaccine, and so to account for that, whenever we administer vaccines to folks, we actually monitor them. People who've never had allergic reactions before get monitored for 15 minutes afterwards, and people who have had some type of allergic reaction get monitored for about 30 minutes afterwards. And the reason for the difference in the time frame is, generally speaking, if you're going to have an allergic reaction to vaccine, it's going to happen in that short time period immediately after receiving the vaccination. The second question that you asked was about pregnancy. And that was a really important question to ask because uh, people, uh, pregnant women, uh, people who are pregnant were not uh, were not um, allowed to be, uh, they were not recruited already pregnant into the studies. 
Okay, so if you are going to agree to be in a study, you have to have a negative pregnancy test um, while you're uh, before you enter the study, and so that made it difficult to be able to say um, for certain that um, the the vaccine is going to be okay in in pregnant with pregnant people because that wasn't set up like that. However, you can have a pregnancy test that's negative at the beginning of the of the study, but nobody is actually um, uh, going to prevent you, a, a person, from becoming pregnant throughout the study period. And so what actually happened is even though the intention was not to enroll pregnant people, several people got pregnant throughout the study um, at various stages before and after they received their vaccines. And uh, there were in, in the vaccine trials um, that uh, had women, uh, people who became pregnant, there were not documented pregnancy losses in the folks who received the vaccine. Um, and so that is good baseline um, information to make, that was enough to make us as healthcare professionals feel um, confident to say, you know what, this vaccine is um, uh, probably going to be just fine for our pregnant people. And we want to make sure that they are um, having access to vaccines because COVID-19 in pregnancy is uh, problematic. It causes you, you may have more serious disease um, if you are pregnant and develop COVID. And so we were recommending that folks get their vaccine, even if they were pregnant. The good news is, is that now there are studies that are uh, being designed that are specifically looking to um, answer the question enrolling pregnant women so that we can uh, have we can answer this question with more confidence than it's probably okay and be and the confidence will improve to it's definitely okay. Um, so those are the, the the two questions that you asked. The the others that I've heard um, in terms of you know questions that people have um, or myths may be related to just what is in the vaccine. Uh, are we are we injecting people with the coronavirus? And and so the answer to that question is no. Um, none of the vaccines um, are injecting anyone with the coronavirus. And so you cannot get COVID-19 from the vaccine. The way that most of these vaccines work is that they have some version of uh, some genetic material, which is basically like a blueprint um, or a, a recipe card that then will get into the body through the injection. And once it gets into the cells, our body's cells now read that recipe card and recognize what the components of the coronavirus are by reading the recipe card and then builds the immune system to be able to protect it from those um from those components because it was able to read them in advance and and store that memory um, and so it will the vaccine will not give you COVID-19 it's also not a microchip it is also not a 
a, um, you know, nanoparticle device or something like that, that is meant to track people. Uh, the only things that are inside it, it's usually, you know, some, um, a little bit of water, some sugars, um, some proteins, uh, and that the genetic material um, blueprint um, photocopy, if you will, of that recipe. Uh, and so there is no there is no chip kind of material or anything like that. After you get your vaccine, uh, people will not be able to track your whereabouts. In fact, um, if if folks are concerned about their themselves being tracked, I would probably say the things that are more likely to be tracked are things like our cell phones, our other mobile devices, um, you know, our computers, cameras, these kinds of things. Uh, none of that, none of those tracking uh, types of software or devices are present in these vaccines. And where do you think some of those myths have come from? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, you know, there's over time, uh, there's, you know, from the historical context of um, just questioning whether or not a vaccine will, will work in one group or another, or if a vaccine is meant, is going to um, lead to uh, sterilization. Um, it, like, there's real, there's real history where folks have been, you know, presented to the hospitals or clinics or whatnot uh, in, in the past for one problem, and then they come out with tubal ligations or other um, procedures where they can no longer have children. And with that, and this happened without their consent. And it happened in enslaved um, uh, women, uh, Black women in the United States. It happened with uh, Indigenous um, uh, people. And it also happened even more recently. There was, you know, last year, there was a whistleblower um, report about um question of whether or not this was happening right here in 2020 at at ICE detention centers, right? And so there there's definitely legitimate fear and, and concern about um, people doing things to our bodies without our consent. Um, and it's really important to acknowledge where those fears and concerns are coming from and then be able to do our best as healthcare workers to try to dismantle some of those fears um, uh, just one by one while acknowledging the context and the history, the history be behind why people are concerned. And what about people who want to try and get uh, one particular vaccine? Does well, it matter which one? Yeah, that's a really good question. It, it really doesn't matter which vaccine you get. Um, we are fortunate that we've, as a as a world, as a global community, have been able to um, develop multiple vaccines against this one, against this one threat, and they have all the the scientists have all been working really hard to come up with um, vaccines using different technology so that at the end of the day we we have one that works um, and so now we have multiple that work well and 
I would encourage uh, folks to get the first one that is available to them because here's the here's the the crux of the matter. What we want to prevent is people becoming so sick that they need to be hospitalized, and we want to prevent people dying. And all of these vaccines have proven themselves to be effective at doing just that. So I, for I, for example, have received the um, the Pfizer vaccine. And uh, my folks live in the Caribbean. They live in Dominica. And this vaccine was not going to be available to them uh, because it needed to be at certain temperatures. And it was just not something that was uh, feasible for people who live in the Caribbean and in in countries in Africa and, and so forth. And so what was available to them is the AstraZeneca vaccine. And... I had to feel confident and comfortable with recommending to my parents that they get this vaccine. And I, and I did feel comfortable and confident in recommending that and they received their first vaccine. And what I would say is if you are offered a vaccine, take it. What we want is for as many people as possible to have uh, protection against COVID-19 because how this virus works, how it how it has been able how it has been able over the last 12 months to destroy so many lives and and take down so many economies how it works is that it needs to be able to have available hosts available people who are not protected against it that's one thing and then the second thing it needs is it needs to have people it needs to have the access to be able to spread and and so the way that we can affect this and help things to turn the other way is to reduce the amount of available people who have not been protected. And we do that by vaccinating as many people as possible. And then the second way that we do that is to reduce its ability to spread from one person to the other. And that is by public health measures that we have been trying to do over the last year, which is avoiding crowds, wearing a mask when you're around people that are not in your household, and uh, washing your hands as often as possible. What vaccines will do is that it will allow us to be able to slowly start to be able to connect back with our friends and families who have also been vaccinated. The CDC recently re- uh, released recommendations for what what vaccinated people um, should be able to do safely, and one of the f- one of the things that it says is if if you are in a group of vaccinated folks, a small group of vaccinated folks, you may be able to hang out together without masks. Who doesn't want to do that? Right at this point, after this whole year of, of physical and social social distancing, who doesn't want to be able to go to a friend's house and have like maybe two or or three um, uh, sets of friends that are there and just hang out, eat, have drinks, whatever at that house? If everyone in their circle is vaccinated, you'll be able to do that. I think that's something that we really need to get people thinking about. And I know I'm really looking forward to the day where we can do some of that, where we can just hang out and not have to worry about um, 
you know, somebody contracting the virus. And how long do you think I've heard some, um, some, uh, some, some numbers, but how long do you think before we'll get to herd immunity? And can you explain what that is? So herd immunity is um, that concept where the majority of folks within a community, so somewhere between um, 60 to 80% of the community has been, uh, has uh, developed uh, immunity to the threat to the virus. Um, And what we know is that vaccines will provide that protection, that immunity. Um, and if we wait for people to try to, to, if we wait to achieve herd immunity through just infections alone, too many people will have to die in order for us to get there. And so that's why vaccines are important so that we can get to that point without having another, you know, million people dying. Um, how long that will take is variable. And I, I tend to not try to make predictions on it. And I'll tell you why I don't like to make predictions. Just like you know, what I had said before about what are the things that the virus needs to spread? It needs people who are available, um, uh, who are not, who are susceptible. Um, and it needs, it, it needs people who are in close proximity to each other in order for it to spread in the community. And what we need is for people to continue to use these public health measures um, while we are vaccinating folks in order to slow that spread. Because if we hang our hats on vaccines are available, we'll eventually reach herd immunity and re- and relax some of these public health measures too quickly. It increases the time until we can actually reach herd immunity because each time we really relax those public health measures, more people are going to be at risk of getting sick and dying from COVID. And so I don't know how long it will take us. That depends on us. That depends on how much we really want to get there and what we're willing to do to get there, which in my mind should be whatever it takes. And that includes getting vaccines and also adhering to public health measures like social distancing and in in group settings masking in group settings and washing hands and so forth. But if we don't do both of those things, we could be in this limbo situation for a very long time. So when you hear about uh, states like Texas and Mississippi that are like reopening as though nothing ever happened, you're saying that that could uh, really hinder our ability to get to herd immunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... um, it's disappointing. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, we we also have states who never, who never really had um, strict public health measures in place to begin with, and that may also be the reason why we've been struggling so much over the last year was because there was not a reliable and consistent 
public health approach across the entire uh, union. It has been things happening on a state-by-state basis. And so whenever you feel like you make, you know, you take two steps backward, then you have to take steps when you take two steps forward, you have to take steps back when things like that happen. Um, and we're, we're going into the spring break right now. We're, we're getting back into some of these, into the warmer months where people want to be outside together. They want to like be crowded together. And I'm thinking about the, 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 the students who didn't have a, a proper graduation last year, who may not have a proper graduation this year. and you know, the weddings that had to be postponed or done in a, in a weird, you know, unconventional way and the funerals that had to be done by Zoom. You know, having personally attended a funeral by Zoom uh, for a family member who died from COVID, like it's, I don't want to keep doing that, you know, but we all have to dig deep and find, figure out our personal responsibilities because when we when we get to a place where we feel like we can be um, in groups and gathering and doing that safely depends on what we do now. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time uh, talking about this. I just, just thought it was an important topic as we are looking to get more and more people vaccinated. If there's one thought that you could leave people with uh, today, what would that be? I would say my my closing thought is um, one of validation for our communities who are still deliberating about their vaccine decisions. I want them to know that it is okay to ask questions and, and we want you to be able to ask questions, ask the hard questions and hold the healthcare uh, professionals um, in your communities accountable for answering those questions. And whenever the discussion centers uh, hesitation and um, uh, community folks not wanting the vaccine, I want people to also ask questions about access and really ensure that the folks who are tasked with delivering vaccines um, and and this information about vaccines um, to the communities are doing so in an equitable manner and that they're providing information that people understand, that people can really use to help them make decisions, and that it is in languages that people understand as well, um, and ensuring that uh, we're not sacrificing um, the the access of the vaccines and using hesitation as an excuse. Well, thank you again so much for this uh, important discussion. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. But if there's anything you want to hear us talk about on In My Shoes, you can always hit me up at kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Again, that's kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. I think that's great advice for us all to get the information we need and to do what's necessary for us all to be healthy and safe. Uh, again, that's all the time we have until we have a chance to meet again. Be blessed.
Looking for a fun and unique gift for Mother's Day? We got you covered. Head on over to www.inmyshoestoday.com shop and check out all of the great journals we have to offer. You guys know we're all about women of color telling their story in my shoes. And what better way to do that than to journal? Whether they need a little self-care, if they're working on a gratitude mindset, if they're looking for a prayer journal, or even something that gives them a few writing prompts to get them started, we've got what you need, as well as a line of decorative pens designed to inspire women to write until their heart's content. Remember, we believe that when you write, you release. So go on over to our website, www.inmyshoestoday.com shop and use promo code IMS. That's IMS for free shipping on all orders until Mother's Day.